Hello, is everybody on? see myself in the picture. I don't know. Hello? Okay, good morning, believers in Christ. I, I am so uh, happy to be able to uh, greet all of you. And I'm very disappointed I couldn't be there with you live this week. Uh, well, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you the first study. I had prepared five for the conference we were going to do. So this first study is going to be based on Job chapter 19. So if you would turn there, Job chapter 19, it's one of four messages that I had from Job, and then on Sunday morning I was actually going to do a different message. So this first message on Job chapter 19 is is the first one, and really you need to hear the other two to connect everything, but what I did was I isolated this study, so it'll be a study of its own, and if down the line you want me to do more on Job, I just have to connect uh, the studies or continue, if you will. So turn to Job 19 then. Give you a little bit of background before we actually read Job 19. Uh, what I titled this study is Job's Frustration and Faith. I remember when I stood with my parents at my sister's funeral, and that was really difficult and very hard for me to see. It was very painful uh, for my parents uh, having to see their child uh, buried. Job was mourning the death of his ten children. It was a deep grief. He lost most of his fortune. He lost his health. And before you lay blame on his wife for her words, put yourself in her place. How would you react if you lost all of your children it was a really uh, crushing blow to her. Job is caught completely by surprise and is trying to make sense of this whole thing. So in the previous chapters, he's examining his life and thinking, uh, why God? It w- I wasn't in rebellion or I wasn't practicing any kind of sin. Uh, my life has been lived out in integrity. I, I raised my children to fear you. We always acknowledged you in our home. It doesn't make sense, uh, all of this calamity, all of these trials that are falling upon me. Meanwhile, his friends who came to comfort him concluded that Job and his children must have committed some kind of sin uh, for this to happen to him, and Job wouldn't own up to it. And so they are constantly uh, trying to get him to confess 
and to say, come on, Job, just say, what did you do? What were you doing, you and your children? Because God wouldn't have allowed this, allowed this to happen to you unless you actually did something. Yeah, hello? So it didn't, it wasn't recording? Okay, I did. Start? Start again from the beginning? (laughs) Okay, alright. So, uh, let's continue uh, our study. So we see then that Job was uh, caught by complete surprise with this tragedy that came upon him, the loss of his children, the loss of his business, uh, the loss of his animals, everything that happened to him, he didn't, he had no idea, as you and I do, because we can read the book and look back, he had no idea uh, that God was testing his faith. There's several messages through, throughout the book of Job, and the one of the main ones is Job's faith. Another one is God's sovereignty in what he permits. So, as we enter Job chapter 19, and, and we begin to read it, Job is uh, discussing his disappointment, his frustration with several things. His frustration with his friends, his frustration with his God, his frustration with family and wife. He's frustrated also with his condition. And then at the end, we're going to see his hope. So, So let's start reading the chapter then, Job chapter 19. And verse 1, then Job responded. He responded to his three friends who were trying to comfort him, and they ended up frustrating him rather than comforting him. So let's start reading. Then Job responded, how long will you torment me and crush me with your words? These ten times you have insulted me. You are not ashamed to wrong me. Even if I had truly erred, my error lodges within me. If indeed you vaunt yourself against me, and prove my disgrace to me. So, basically what he's saying to his three friends is, I, I, I feel like you're, you have judged me, you're persecuting me, you have no compassion. In fact, you, you're crushing me with your words. Instead of encouraging me, you, you, your accusation, your assumption that I must have committed some kind of sin for God to allow this to me, it is really uh, hurting me. I wish you would stop. So, Job was really frustrated with his friends. Have you ever been frustrated with your friends? Have your friends let you down? Well, you know they will, sooner or later. Or maybe you've already had that experience that a friend of yours let you down big time or did you wrong. That's how they, that's how Job felt. He was very frustrated with these guys and instead of encouraging them, they kept crushing them by their assumptions. And he felt like they were just slamming him and his family. Next, I want you to notice that Job was frustrated with God. Let's look at verse 6 through 11. Now, now then that God has wronged me and has closed his net around me. So you can see in verse 6 that he says clearly, God has done me wrong. He felt that God was unfair 
in what he was permitting in his life, in what, in the very fact that all his children had, had left in one minute, they were all gone. Verse 7, Behold, I cry violence, but I get no answer. I shout for help, but there is no justice. He has walled up my way so that I cannot pass, and he has put darkness on my path. So you can just see how he feels that God is against him and, and he's frustrated. Look at verse 9. He has stripped my honor from me and removed the crown from my head. He breaks me down on every side and I am gone. And he has uprooted my hope like a tree. He has also kindled his anger against me and considered me as his enemy. So you can just see then that he thinks that God has done him wrong. He's really frustrated with God and his lot in life at this particular moment. Notice chapter 19 and verse 22. Why do you persecute me as God does and are not satisfied with my flesh? So he felt that God was persecuting him. God was unfair and God did him wrong. Now, I have noticed in my Christian walk that there's quite a bit of people, quite a bit of Christians that are mad at God because of their lot in life. A lot of people have left the faith or walked away from church uh, because of what God has permitted in their life. They are mad at Him. Let me give you an example. I was counseling a young couple and they were arguing with one another. They were mad at each other. And I noticed that the wife was really angry. So I asked her a question. Are you mad at God? And she started crying and said, yes, I am mad at God. She was mad at God because she had envisioned her marriage in an unrealistic way. She thought it was always going to be romantic and passionate and and uh, just this uh, unrealistic kind of way. But when the honeymoon was over and reality hit her, uh, she was like really frustrated and started blaming God and was mad at God as she confessed because of the way her marriage was going. Another couple, I remember when, in my younger days, another couple uh, in the assembly asked us to pray for their five-year-old daughter because she was sick and she was in danger of dying. She was in the hospital. So the church started to pray for her. A few days later, though, the little girl passed away. And I remember as if it was today that the parents said to the leaders, if this is the God we serve, I want nothing to do with them. They walked away, and we never saw them again. They were mad at God. They were frustrated with God. Now, next, he was frustrated with family and and his wife. Let's look at that in chapter 19 and verse 13. He has removed my brothers far from me, and my acquaintances are completely estranged from me. When this happened to him, uh, the, the people were like not knowing how to respond. And his brothers, instead of being there for him, let him down. They didn't come to comfort him, but rather they pulled away. I guess the conventional thought of the day was, if you do something wrong, God's going to fall upon you and punish you. And so not only were his counselors thinking that way, but I guess his brothers were as well. But sometimes even your brothers let you down. Maybe some of you listening to me have had a brother, a sister, a relative let you down. 
That's how Job felt. He felt pretty crushed because of his brothers, his and and his acquaintances. Look at verse 14. My relatives have failed me, and my intimate friends have forgotten me. Those who live in my house and my maids consider me a stranger, and I am a foreigner in their sight. And so, once again, he he felt frustrated with uh, with his friends, uh, his slaves. As you know, uh, Job had uh, quite a bit of wealth, and he had servants, and even his servants didn't know how to respond to him, how to act. In light of the way he had lost everything and his body was uh, devastated, he was sick. And so his his friends let him down. He felt that God let him down. He felt that his family, his brothers, his siblings, his associates let him down. And then he says, well, his servants as well. Then he says in verse 17, my breath is offensive to my wife. I am lonesome to my own brothers. So, as you know, uh, his wife voiced several times her frustration with the fact that he didn't deny the faith. She said, just curse God and, and die. And, and so he felt like even his wife wasn't there at a time of need. Of course, as I said before, I think that she was just grieved and crushed herself. And at some time when we're grieving really deeply, we say things that we really don't believe and mean. So that's my take on Job's wife. However, Job still felt frustrated that he needed to be there for him. But she wasn't. Of course, his brothers also. But notice verse 18. Even young children despise me. I rise up and they speak against me. The kids that would walk around the neighborhood uh, saw him and they're like, wow, what happened to Job? And, and uh, they despised him. Verse 19. All my associates abhor me. And those I love have turned against me. Wow. So you can see then that Job was really in a bad spot. Not only was he grieving the loss of his children and his uh, physical sickness, but he was grieving the fact that all of the people that he thought were going to be there for him on a time of need all disappointed him. He even felt that God let him down. Now notice that he feels frustrated with his condition. Look at verse 20. My bone clings to my skin and my flesh, and I have escaped only by the skin of my teeth. Pity me, pity me, O you my friends, for the hand of God has struck me. To, to get a better understanding of how people saw him physically, I want you to look at chapter 2 and verse 11. Notice that when his friends came to visit him to try to comfort him, this is what the Bible says, Job 2 and in verse 11. Now when Job's three friends heard of all his adversity that had come upon him, they came each one from his own place, Eliphaz, Bildad, Zophar, and they made an appointment together to come and sympathize with him and comfort him. And when they lifted up their eyes at a distance and did not recognize him, they raised their voices and wept. And each of them tore his robe and they threw dust over their heads towards the sky. And then they sat down on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights with no one speaking a word to him. 
for they saw that his pain was very great. So when the three counselors came, his three buddies came to try to comfort him, and they saw him, they were like, oh, my word. They couldn't believe the way he looked physically. And so Job was really frustrated, and he was crushed. You know, this reminds me of David, King David. He was frustrated when David's son turned against him, Absalom, and then David's best friend and his counselor, Ahithophel, betrayed him. And he went and talked to his rebellious son, and he gave him advice as to how to crush and how to conquer his dad. Boy, that was a hard blow for David. Paul was also crushed when he was in Rome, and he was going to stand trial. And he says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16 and 17, that everybody abandoned him. But Christ stood by my side. How encouraging to know that. Even when everyone lets you down, Jesus Christ is right there by your side. Well, we've been going through this uh, isolation period with this virus thing. And do you feel a little bit better about your situation now as you consider uh, Job's life? Now, after Job expresses then that he's frustrated with his friends, with God, with his family, with his brothers, with his wife, uh, with his associates, with, with, the, with the kids laughing at him. After he does all that, I want you to notice uh, a, a, a switch, a, a switch of tone, a change, because after he expresses all of his frustration, then he expresses his hope. Notice verse 25. As for me, I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last, he will take his stand on the earth. Even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh I shall see God, whom I myself shall behold, and whom my eyes shall see, and not another. My heart faints within me. This is amazing. After Job expresses all of his frustrations and his grief uh, for the loss of his children, his grief at his physical condition and the physical pain that was in that he was in, uh, uh, the fact that everybody let him down, at least he felt that way, even the fact that he felt that God let him down. But in the midst of all of this, notice how he clings to his hope. The Holy Spirit gave him understanding, even back then, that there's a future resurrection coming. Not only that, but his Redeemer, Jesus Christ, was going to be uh, the Savior who was going to come and rule in the Millennial Kingdom. I want you to notice what he says then. Let's look at it a little more carefully. As for me, I know my Redeemer lives. As you know, we all know as believers, Jesus is our Redeemer, isn't he? And at the last, he will take his stand on the earth. What does he mean by that? When Jesus Christ resurrected, he promised that he was going to come back. And he was going to put his feet on the Mount of Olives. And he was going to crush the enemies. He was going to establish his kingdom in Jerusalem. And he was going to rule the world from Jerusalem. Notice, he will take a stand on the earth. That's right. From the earth, in Jesus' second coming, as a redeemer, he's going to rule the earth. He's going to rule the world. All his enemies will be crushed under his feet. And he will rule from there. Praise God for this truth. But notice then that he says, 
I know he lives and he's going to rule the world. He's going to take a stand on the earth. Verse 26, even after my skin is destroyed, in other words, after he dies, yet from my flesh I shall see God. So he understood then that Jesus, his Redeemer, resurrected and was going to come back to earth. He's going to come and rule from the earth physically. But he also understood that he was going to resurrect and from his flesh, from his new resurrected body, no longer suffering, no longer in pain, uh, no longer grieving, from his body, from my flesh, I shall see God. Wow! What a hope that Job had in the midst of all of his pain and suffering and trial. What a hope he clung unto. Verse 27, Whom I myself shall behold, and whom my eyes shall see, and not another. Wow! He understood clearly then through the revelation of the Holy Spirit, giving him insight into the future, that his hope lied after death. Because, you know, in life, uh, there's going to be a lot of disappointments and a lot of frustrations. People are going to let you down. Your body's going to get sick and break down. You're going to have to grieve many losses. But our hope is not on now, on this earth, but in the future, in our resurrected body, when we're going to rule with Christ on the earth, and we're going to be able to see Him and to worship our beloved Savior. Tim Rodriguez, a good friend of mine, was dying from cancer. He was around 40. He had two teenage sons. I believe they were 17 and 15 years old. A very godly man, a godly wife. So I went to visit him, and my question was, it's about six months before he died, what is God telling you right now? And this is what he answered me. Hold on to your faith. So I went back to visit him three months before he died. And I asked him again, Tim, what is God telling you? And he answered, hang on to your faith. And a week before he died, I went to see him again. And I just felt like I should ask him again, Tim, what is God telling you right now? And he said, hang on to your faith with vice grips. Hang on tight and don't let go. You know that a few days later he passed away. And we buried that man with his fist, with his fist clenched, hanging on firm to his faith. Wow. I'm reminded of Peter in Luke chapter 22 and verse 31 to 32. Satan had asked permission to sift Peter. Satan is going to sift you like wheat, Jesus said. And I have prayed for your faith. That, 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 I'm sorry, I pray that your faith may not fail. Wow. And so when Peter was watching Jesus, he was really confused because they were beating him, they were spitting on him, they were mocking him. And after he denied him the third time, it says in Luke 22, 61, that the Lord turned and looked at, at uh, Peter right in the eyes. Wow, can you imagine? Peter at that moment was just totally crushed. Uh, he was grieving. He was, he was bitterly crying because he denied the Lord three times. 
And I can imagine Satan just shaking his face, saying, is that the one you're putting your faith in? Look at him. He's all beat, and they're spitting on him and laughing at him. That's who you trust? Here's my concluding statements. I want you to understand this. You need to hang on to your faith, even if God doesn't make sense to you. Even if the cancer is taking you, even if you're in chronic pain, even if you lost your children, even if he or she has left you, even if all your friends disappoint you, hang on to your faith. Even if you get the virus, hang on to your faith. Even if all your dreams have been crushed, hang on to your faith. Listen, so many people walk away from the faith because of some disappointment with God, uh, some blow that happens to them, some loss of a child. Hang on to your faith. Like my friend Tim, hang on to your faith. In fact, I'm convinced that the only reason Peter didn't walk away from the faith was because Jesus went back to restore him. Peter was hanging on by a thin thread, barely, with just a little bit of faith there. And yet Jesus went back and said, Peter, do you love me? And basically he was restoring him. And he says, then you feed my sheep. You serve me, Peter. Get on your feet. I restore you. I forgive you. Now, you live by faith and you serve me. Well, have all your dreams been crushed? Have you been frustrated because of your lot in life? Hang on to your faith. Let me conclude with Job's words. In Job chapter 13 and verse 15, this is what he said, Though he slay me, yet I will trust him. Though he slay me, yet I will trust him. You know, Job couldn't make sense of everything that was happening to him. He was frustrated. He was trying to find answers. Boy, but his faith was firm. He had a tight grip on his faith and he wouldn't let go. Even though he slay me. Boy, Satan right there was crushed. Satan lost his bet that when he told God, he only follows you because you bless him. Right there, Satan understood this is a true man of faith. He really trusts God. And though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Believers, hang on to your faith, no matter what happens. Thank you for listening. Let's close in prayer. Father, uh, we are so amazed at Job's faith. He had every reason to turn away. He had every reason to walk away from the faith. He had every reason, according to our own understanding, to curse you. He had every reason uh, to just uh, yell at you. And yet, he clung to his faith. Help us to hang on to our faith, even when it doesn't make sense. In Jesus' name, amen.